you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you were attentive to the songs that we sang, especially the last two, they had uh, a tone of anticipation for the future there. And uh, it was good to sing about the hope that we have. Let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 will begin in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning. Father, we come with souls that need you this morning. Father, we come with souls who long for hope. Hope that we long for is in many different ways. It shows in many different ways. And this morning we ask that you would speak to us through your word. And Father, I pray that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. Father, I pray that you would help us to be attentive listeners to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Confusion and fear are common among most people when they, when we think about the future. Whether that future is later today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, 50 years from now. Confusion and fear are common among people. We, in the month we're in, in May... We are celebrating with many students who are graduating from high school or college. And with the graduation comes much fear of the future as to what does the future hold. Maybe there's some uncertainty. Many of them have plans for the future. You might go to a graduation party and you might talk to a student and you might hear from them what they're anticipating doing in the fall. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's college, maybe it's something else. But there's also some you might talk to and they'll be like, I really don't know what I'm going to do in the fall, what I'm going to do next. And for them, there may be fear and confusion. We all struggle with fear and confusion from time to time. Maybe when we think about the future of our family, our own personal lives, Our health, our financial or job situation, maybe something else. 
But from time to time, we all struggle with fear and, and confusion when we think about the future. And in our text in 1 Thessalonians this morning, there was some fear and confusion in the Thessalonian church, in the members of that church about the future. They believed, rightly, in the any-moment return of Jesus. They believed from our, in our passage today that Jesus was going to come back at any time. And Paul had taught them this. He communicated right, sound theology about the any-moment return of Jesus. But the confusion and fear in these believers came not with not knowing that Jesus was going to come at any moment, but rather the confusion and fear came with knowing what happens to those they loved who died before Jesus came. We don't know the why behind this. We don't know any of that. We just know that Paul writes to them so that they would have information. If you look at verse 13, Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed. We, that he wanted them to know some truth, some reality about their friends who had died. They thought, because their friends had died, that they were going to miss out on Jesus' return. They thought they were going to miss out. But Paul desires that this church know with confidence that they and those who died have and had hope in Jesus. And this hope is what sustains in life and death. This hope is what Paul is going to con communicate to them. And this, he's going to give them information about this hope that is yet to happen Jesus' return has not happened. And he does this for a reason. If you look at verse 13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Grieving is natural for all people when someone we love dies. But for those who know Jesus as their Savior, our grief ought to look different. It ought to be different. And the key to that different way of grieving is hope. Hope for ourselves and hope for the loved one who has died. And Paul points them to this hope in these verses. That they can grieve the loss of their loved ones with hope. And so can we. Those living around these truly converted believers, as I said, grieved the death of their loved ones with no hope. Death for them was the end. But Paul clearly communicates that for the believer, death is not the end. But on the contrary, death is the beginning. Death is not the end, but the beginning. This information that Paul initiates communicating about in verse 13 has the end goal in verse 18. So jump ahead. I know that's, oh, we, we, can't, we can't jump ahead. Well, jump ahead just for a moment and look at verse, verse 18 because verses 13 and verses 18 really uh, set the stage for the rest that Paul will say. In verse 18, Really short, really simple, really clear. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The information that Paul gives in verses 14 through 17 have the goal of comforting, encouraging us. 
but not just us, but one another, encouraging one another with the hope that we have in Jesus. And, that, and that's our big idea this morning from this text, is that God wants us, as a church, as a body of believers, to encourage one another with hope in Jesus. God wants you, God wants us to encourage one another with hope in Jesus. We must ask the question then as to what this hope is we are to encourage one another with. What is this hope? Well, in verses 14 through 17, Paul gives three realities of this hope. Three realities of this hope in this text. And reality number one is, because Jesus was raised, truly converted people will also be raised. The truth in verse 14 that we see is, because Jesus was raised, truly converted people will be raised. It's a fact. It's a reality. This is a certainty in which they, the Thessalonian believers, and we can rely on. In a sense, you could use the phrase, we can take it to the bank because it's sure. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul begins to elaborate on this reality of this hope by speaking the connection that all truly converted believers have with Jesus' resurrection. This is good news. Verse 14 is amazingly good news for all people who have been truly converted in Jesus. The reality is that because Jesus died and rose again, so too will you if you've responded in repentant faith. Do you see the connection that Paul's making in this verse? He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. What he's saying there, that if we believe the gospel, if we believe the good news that someone shared, preached to us, and we are trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is a promise that God makes to all truly converted believers that if we believe the gospel, our resurrection is guaranteed. It's not a wonder. It's not, oh, I hope this happens. It's not me sitting down in, in August and saying, boy, I hope the Hawkeyes have a winning football season. If you're a Hawkeye fan, you know what I mean. Okay, That's not what this is. This is a certainty. There is nothing that can shake this reality. That because Jesus was raised, truly converted people will also be raised. The gospel gives us the certainty of our resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection. Paul points his friends at Thessalonica back to what they first believed. The gospel was not just for the moment of conversion. Yes, it is, but it isn't totally for that. But rather, the gospel is for life. The gospel ought to fuel our holiness and our hope in Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. 
The gospel ought to fuel our holiness and our hope in Jesus. The reality of hope is intimately connected with our, with our belief in Jesus' death and resurrection. We have no hope apart from Jesus dying and rising again. Paul says elsewhere that we are most pitiable if Jesus did not rise. We have hope because Jesus died and rose. If we, are tr- if we truly believed in Jesus, we too, through Jesus, will be raised by God. Our resurrection is sure because Jesus, is resurrection, because Jesus was resurrected. Our resurrection, our rising to be with Jesus, with God, is sure because Jesus was resurrected. Maybe think about it this way. The ones we love who have died have not missed out on the resurrection. Rather, they are awaiting the day when Jesus will come and God will raise his people. They died knowing this hope if they were truly converted. That one day, Jesus would come again, and those who are dead will be raised to life, new life, eternal life. They didn't miss out. The ones who have died have not missed out. This is a sure hope. This is a reality for us. If you are a truly converted believer here this morning, if you've truly trusted Christ as your Savior, you should find great joy in this reality. That because Jesus was raised, you too will be raised. There ought to be great joy because you are united in Jesus. Think about Colossians chapter 3. Our lives are hidden in Jesus. As a believer, we are so united that we cannot be separated from him. His death is our death to sin. His resurrection to life is our resurrection to life. And there is hope. Jesus' death is ours. His resurrection assures us of our own resurrection. But you may be sitting here this morning, and you may have never repented of your own personal sins and trusted in Jesus alone for salvation. What I want you to know this morning is this hope is not your hope yet. This hope in Jesus is not yours yet, but you can know this hope. I urge you today to believe what what Paul says, the first part of verse 14. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, believe today. Repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. God is holy. You are a rebellious sinner. Jesus completely, totally saves from sin, and he is ours. Jesus is ours by repentance and faith alone. What a glorious reality of hope we have in Jesus. Amen? For those who know Jesus, what a glorious reality of hope we have in Jesus. This ought to be something that we get excited about. Or does, does Jesus' death and resurrection mean nothing to us? I know, as Pastor Chad has said, we're a good Baptist church and we don't respond. Okay? 
But when we talk about the hope we have in Jesus, we ought to get excited about it. Because those who have responded in faith have hope. You sitting here this morning, if Jesus is yours by faith, what joy you have in life and death. And think about this. For those of us who have loved ones who have died, what hope we have that their faith was real. And that one day they too will be raised because Jesus was raised. We ought to give God all the glory for his choosing us in Jesus and raising us in the same way as Jesus was raised. Because Jesus' resurrection is absolutely certain. Rock solid hope that we have to be raised one day with him. Praise God that Jesus' resurrection means we too will be resurrected. The second reality that Paul gives to his friends at the Thessalonica church is truly converted people who have died will be raised first. Look at verse verse 15. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Truly converted people who have died will be raised first when Jesus comes. Now, due to the confusion and fear among the Thessalonians, Paul makes it clear that their friends, their loved ones who have died have not missed out, but will be raised first. So for them, if Jesus were to come back in their lifetime, which he did not, all of them died. But if that were to happen, they would not get something sooner than their loved ones who have died. They would know this. They would know this hope. They would know this. The truth is that not only did their friends not miss out, but they would be raised first. They would not precede those who are alive. And the tru- truth is that this hope is real. And in that knowledge of those who have died, they would be raised. This was a hope that they could count on. And Paul seeks to impart confidence in his friends that we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is good news. They were concerned that their friends had missed out. But Paul says, nobody's missed out. Nobody's going to miss out. Not you, not them, not anybody in the future. Nobody is going to miss out. Believers in Jesus who have died are not forgotten by God. Believers who have died are not ignored by God when Jesus comes. Nor are they a second or afterthought by God. Instead, believers in Jesus who have died before he comes will precede, will go first. Will precede those who are alive when he comes. The hope God gives is that no matter what our status is, dead or alive, whatever the status might be of us, the hope that God gives is that when Jesus comes, whether dead or alive, we will be raised through Jesus by God. And again, what a hope that is. We've all lost people that we love. People that we wish we could have one more day with. We've all lost them. 
We all wish we could have more. But what a hope that we have in Jesus that one day they will be raised to new life. And they're not going to miss out. They're not going to miss out on anything. It's a hope. It's a reality that God will raise our fellow dead believers first. As I've said, I would guess that each one of us has a loved one or more that has died. And I want to encourage you this morning that you can have hope that they did not and will not miss out on Jesus' coming. When Jesus comes, they will be raised. And you will be raised. And in this reality, take hope. Find hope that is certain in Jesus. And again, I want to encourage you to give God glory for the glorious truth, the glorious reality, and the hope we have in Jesus. Our hope is rooted in Him. We ought to give God the glory for not ignoring those who have died, saying, well, you died, when I get around to it, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to be mine. God doesn't ever act like that. Those who are His are His forever. And He will take them to be with Him. He doesn't ignore, He doesn't forget. They're not an afterthought. They're not a secondary thought. But rather, they will precede those who are alive at Jesus' coming. God will raise those who have died in Jesus first. That is something to rejoice in. That they will not miss out. Reality number three is when Jesus comes, every truly converted person will be with him forever. Look at verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So basically Paul is saying to his friends that if you didn't get the first two realities, here's an all-encompassing reality. Dead or alive, when Jesus comes, you're with Jesus. If you didn't get it, this is what is the, the, the ultimate, everybody's included. When Jesus comes, every truly converted person will be with him forever. That's a fact. And that's what these two verses point to. If the Thessalonians missed it, this is it. God, through Paul, graciously gives them this all-encompassing reality of hope. In giving this reality of hope in Jesus, Paul gives some details about the yet future coming of Jesus. But I want to make clear as, I, as we talk about these details, and yes, they're not very specific details. They're not overly helpful details. But the point that Paul gives in these details is that the certainty is there for truly converted believers that they can have hope in Jesus. That when these things happen that Paul describes, they have hope that they will be with Jesus. They will be with him forever and ever and ever. And the first aspect in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 16 that that Paul points to them is that the first aspect of Jesus' coming Paul gives is that Jesus the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. Jesus is currently with God. 
and when he comes again, there will be much noise. I'm not really sure how you can not know that from verse 16. There's a shout, there's the archangel's voice, and there's a trumpet. It is going to be a noisy moment when Jesus comes. And I think there's reasons for that. But Paul says that when Jesus comes again, there will be much noise. This shout or loud command will be an announcement of Jesus' return. This is, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what it's going to say. Paul doesn't give us what it's going to say. But it's going to be loud and it's going to be a shout. And Jesus will come. And in this shout, it will initiate the resurrection of the truly converted who have died. It's a shout of command saying, rise. That's how I think it's going to be. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. If God chooses to do differently than what I say, that's probably the way it ought to be done. But in my thinking, it's going to initiate this resurrection. And when he comes, this shout will initiate, will inaugurate these believers from rising from the grave. The second aspect of Jesus' coming Paul gives is that Jesus' coming will be with the archangel's voice. Along with this shout, the archangel's voice will be added. And again, we don't know what the archangel is going to say. We don't even know who the archangel is. But his voice will be added to the shout, loud command that was given. Together, they will happen. Now, In my simple earthly imagination, so forgive me if again if I'm wrong about this, but as I was meditating on this passage in my simple earthly imagination, I wonder what joy there must be in heaven among the angels as the long-awaited sending of Jesus to get his bride happens. What joy there must be. The angels don't know. The angels don't know. The scripture tells us that no one knows. But what joy there must be in heaven when the angels, who don't get to know the salvation that we get to know, read 1 Peter if you don't believe me, the angels long to look into salvation and understand it. And they see Jesus coming. What joy there must be on this day. And I suspect this archangel is going to be rejoicing his shout is one of joy because Jesus the victor Jesus the lion of Judah is coming for his people the third aspect of Jesus's coming that Paul gives is that Jesus's coming will be with the trumpet of God the trumpet of God now in when Paul's writing trumpet calls trumpet sounds were used for different things different uses. Uh, At times, it was used as a battle cry. You might have seen movies or read stories about a trumpet blast initiating the the, uh, going of an army to war, to battle. It was also used as a funeral announcement. Now, I realize those are pretty opposite. I mean, going into battle and at a funeral. But that's the way trumpet calls were used. The trumpet of God is the continuation of the shout that was was there. 
And it continues to call the dead in Christ to rise at Jesus' coming. And therefore, I believe this trumpet call is a victory trumpet call. That will say, Jesus is proving forever that he has power over death and hell. And he's calling the believers to life again. All three of these loud noises is to call the dead in Christ to rise because Jesus has come. The dead in Christ will be raised first and then every truly converted believer will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the air. And that word there, just for a moment, I want to talk about that word, that phrase, caught up. Many have called this the rapture, meaning believers will be taken up. And that's not a wrong word to use. I like the word that Paul uses here, caught up, or the actual literal idea of snatching away is what will happen. We don't know when. We don't know exactly how that's going to happen. You know, uh, again, I have a weird imagination, and so uh, please don't take me as being irreverent. But when I think of this word snatching away, I think of a shop vac with a little uh, funnel down there, and you're you're going around and you're sucking, things are just sucked up. Now, I don't mean to be irreverent or disrespectful to God, but when I think about this phrase, that's how my mind works. That that's what I think of. Now, now forever, you will not be able to not think of using a shop vac and the rapture at the same time. But that's not the point. The point is that Jesus will come for his people, and it will be a miraculous thing that happens. It will be something that happens that we don't understand And we don't know when and we don't know exactly how, but it will happen. God will snatch away his church to be with him forever at Jesus' coming. It will happen. We don't know when, but it will happen. I think what's important for us to know is that we don't need to know. We don't need to know the details of Jesus' coming, right? We don't need to know that. Paul, to encourage these believers, did not give them a lot of details. He doesn't give them a lot of details. We do not know when Jesus will come. Again, to take the dead and alive to be with him forever. But what we do know is that it will happen. That is a certainty. That is what is reinforced over and over again in the text of Scripture. One day we will be with God forever. And it is true that no one knows the day or the time when God will send Jesus to come get his bride, the church. The truth is that we do not need to know. We don't. It's not helpful for us to spend our days trying to decipher what God might do and when God will do it. It's not helpful. We do not need to bemoan the world in which we live and feel as if we have no hope and, oh, Jesus, come today. Oh, that's not a wrong thing to desire, but it, cannot, it ought not be a desire that flows out of bemoaning the, the difficult situations in which we live. God, in, through Jesus, told us that those who love God are going to face difficulty, will face persecution. It's going to be difficult. But we have a hope in the midst of those difficulties that Jesus is our hope. Because he was resurrected, so we too will be. So my question is, how are we living for Jesus while we wait for verse 17's catching up? How are we doing waiting for that? 
Are you living a faithful, God-glorifying life that impacts others? Are you living with joy because you know the future is secure, even though you don't know what the future entails, what all will happen? Again, I want to encourage you to rejoice. What joy it is to know that whether we are dead or alive, one day all truly converted believers will be with Jesus. We will be raised. It's a joy to know that. God is worthy of all the glory we could ever give because one day he will send Jesus. It ought to excite us that one day we will be with him. But let me encourage you with this. It also ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us to go and tell others about this hope. There are many people around us who have no hope at the death of a loved one. They have no hope as they face their own mortality. But we have hope. And it's in Jesus. And let this joy that we have, this hope we have in Jesus, motivate us to give God the glory and to go with the gospel. Paul has sought in these few verses to communicate the reality of hope in Jesus that all truly converted people will be with Jesus, will be with God in the future. God never intended for any of us to live in confusion or fear about the future return of Jesus. That was never his intention. He also doesn't think we need to know everything either. Some of us are those kind of people. We just want to know. And sometimes we're not happy until we know. But unfortunately, God doesn't think you need to know. And if God doesn't think you need to know, I'm sorry, but the truth is you don't need to know. And instead, you need to rejoice. Rejoice in the truth, the reality that God has given. God wants us to encourage one another with the hope in Jesus we have. And in one sense, this text encourages the individual believer that God has a plan for the future. And you are included. God has a plan for the future. Praise him. And you're included. And those who are dead are included. But I want you to see something really interesting in our text this morning, really important in our text. All throughout these verses, and you can go back and look at them, but all throughout this text, Paul desires that individual believers find great comfort and joy in what he communicates with them. But it's also not just for the individual believer. It's for the local church as well. It's given to the local church in Thessalonica. All throughout this text, Paul says, we, himself included, and you. And the you here is plural, meaning y'all. Okay? Meaning you all. Okay? It's meaning y'all. Okay? It's everybody's included. It's not just for individual believers. It's not you as an individual, but it's everyone. The realities of hope that we looked at are for the local church body. For our fellow members. And I want to point you to verse 18. Look at verse 18. Paul says, Therefore encourage one another with these words. These points back to verses 13 through 17. The hope that he gives, the reality of this hope is for each other. 
for one another. So Paul says in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. So we cannot walk away from looking at this text without asking, how do we as a church care for those who have loved ones who have died? I don't want you to answer that. I just want you to think, how do we, how can we as a church care for those who have loved ones who have died? Are we speaking to them the confident hope in Jesus? Or are we saying something else? Because Paul in this text says what we ought to communicate to each other is that Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. And if their loved one was a believer, they can cling to hope that one day their loved one will be with Jesus. They're not going to miss out. Are we pointing others to the reality that their loved one will be raised when Jesus comes? It is the task of every single member. Listen, it is the task of every single member of this church. Not the pastors, not anybody who's a teacher, but the task of every single member of this church to encourage one another with the hope in Jesus. How will you do that today when our service ends and you get up to go? We like to talk. We're a church of people who like to talk and visit. And I praise God for that. That's a good thing. But when you get up from your pew, when you get up from your seat this morning, how will you go about your time before you get in your car? Will you immediately talk about the weather, your health, your family, your job, sports, a funny story, an interesting story, or something else? Or will you encourage someone with the hope we have in Jesus? Who is here today that you can share how this text of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, help you to love God? Who? Who in this room Can you go to immediately when this is over and say, I love God because of, and you fill in the blank, based on this text? Who will you tell your conversion story with so that they and you can rejoice in God's saving of you and one day you will be with Jesus? Who can you go to and ask to hear their conversion story? So that you can rejoice with them. Who will you encourage with hope in Jesus today? That's the command in verse 18 that Paul gives. That God gives you. If you walk out of here and you don't do this. You're not being a hearer and a doer of God's word. This is what God wants for you. For us as a church to do. To encourage one another with hope in Jesus. Father God, thank you for our time this morning to to look into your word. And Father, I just want to give you all the glory and praise for giving us hope. Father, you don't need us. We, We aren't that spectacular of people that you say, whoa, I want them. But Father, you saved us because of your glory and for your name's sake. And we give you the glory this morning for that. 
Father, thank you for the hope we have in Jesus that his resurrection guarantees our resurrection one day when you come. Father, thank you for that. Father, thank you that those who have died in Christ will be raised as well. And Father, even though we don't know what the future holds, we don't know all the details about when Jesus will come, thank you that we have hope that when it happens, we will be with you. It is certain because of Jesus. We give you the praise and glory for that. Father, help us to go and encourage one another with the reality of this hope in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.